Tree. Here's Randy Alcorn. An idol is anything we put in the place of God, anything we put above God. And an idol can be anything. It's the world God has created, and there's lots of good things in this world. And the good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes the most important thing. The problem isn't the thing itself. The problem is us elevating it to the place of God. The Apostle John ends the letter of First John by saying, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And even in that day, not everybody had physical idols around. He wasn't just talking about a physical thing you put up in worship. We often think that, well, we as Westerners in our modern culture, we don't believe in idols. We don't worship idols. Well, we worship a different kind of idol. For instance, the Apostle Paul talks about uh, covetousness or greed, which is idolatry. It's a different form of idolatry. It's putting money in the place of God. Anything we put above God in the place of God is an idol, and that idol becomes a controlling force in our lives. The way this relates to happiness is that we idolize whatever we think can bring us the most happiness. So we can take a hobby, and that hobby can be just fine. We can take work, and work's just fine. We can take family, and of course, family's wonderful. But we can take any of these things and put them in God's place. That's where they go from being healthy to being unhealthy. God is primary. Everything and everyone else is secondary. He's the creator. Everything else is the created, including his creatures. There's nothing wrong with being a creature. There's nothing wrong with being secondary. It's not inherently bad to be that way, but when Adam and Eve chose the path of sin, they elevated the secondary over the primary. And the reason they did it is because they thought they could find happiness in the secondary thing, like eating this fruit. The problem wasn't the fruit. The problem was God said, don't do that. So that thing God created became a means of temptation from Satan who promised a false happiness that could be found in it. That's what makes temptations temptations is the promise of happiness. And anytime that promise is coming through a secondary thing rather than from the primary, it becomes a temptation. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The interesting thing about this passage is that God is saying that his people have forsaken him, the source of these living waters, to make a secondary thing. They've hewed out cisterns broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, the, the significant thing about that is these cisterns can't hold water. He's the fountain of living water. So the problem isn't just that God is jealous of the attention that would be given to the secondary source of water. It's that the secondary holder of the water can't hold water. In other words, it can't do what God himself can do in fully satisfy. 
which makes me think of John chapter 7, where Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the problem with idols isn't just that they're bad. The problem with idols is they do not satisfy. We can thirst for happiness, and we do thirst for happiness, but we can only ultimately find it in Jesus who says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's not just that the other waters are bad. It's that they're tainted. It's that ultimately, no matter how good they might be, divorced from Christ, apart from happiness in him, they will not satisfy. Idols are appealing because they offer happiness. Idols are deceptive because Satan is using them to persuade us to turn away from God in order to find the happiness we can only find in him. So how do we overcome our tendency to pursue idols in place of God? The first thing is to realize that they are a deception. The lure the promise they offer us is not true. In fact, it is very much like a lure that will catch us on a hook, and Satan is trying to deceive us. Once you know that something is deception, that can help you tremendously. It's like somebody's offering to sell you something at this incredibly good price. Once you understand this is truly a deception, they are lying to me, then it becomes obviously much easier to resist the temptation. But as long as you think there may be truth in this, then you're going to be susceptible to it. This is one of my big concerns for children who are growing up in Christian families in the church. If they're not taught about the happiness that can be found in Christ and the fact that he is the sole source of happiness, eternal happiness, and that he truly and legitimately offers this to us, if they don't understand that, then they are going to be lured away by the false promises of the evil one because they are hardwired for happiness, so they're going to try to find happiness somewhere. They don't think it can be found in the Bible, in God, in Christ, in their church. They will absolutely go out to find it somewhere else. And they'll become ultimately disillusioned. They'll lose hope. They'll become empty because these false promises are false promises and these idols will not satisfy. It doesn't matter if the idol is sex. It doesn't matter if it's drugs. It doesn't matter if it's uh, alcoholism. It doesn't matter if it's success in business or whatever it might be. Things not bad in and of themselves, most of them, if they don't see Christ as the ultimate source of happiness, they will go somewhere else to find happiness. They won't be successful, but they will definitely go there to search for it. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God invites us to taste of him, to experience him, to to let him prove to us the happiness he has to offer us in him. So once we're in proper relationship with God, everything else falls into place. Instead of worshiping the creation, which is a wonderful servant but a terrible master, I look at the beauties of creation and I think that 
they are from the hand of a creator God who made them and made them for me and everyone else to enjoy. They don't become the most important thing in my life. He remains the most important thing in my life. My dog, I love my dog. But if my dog becomes number one in my life and God becomes number two, then my dog is no longer what my dog was supposed to be. Sometimes people say, seek the giver, not the gift. And it's overstated to the point that people end up thinking, I'm really not supposed to enjoy the gift. I'm really not supposed to be happy when I have a really good meal. No, that good meal is a gift from God. Thank him for it, not just in a prayer before the meal, but as you're eating it, be full of gratitude. Thank you, God, for making this food. Thank you, God, for the person who fixed this food. Thank you for the taste buds that allow me to enjoy it. Thank you that I have ahead of me forever, if I know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, I have an eternity in which I will be embodied and I will have resurrected taste buds, not fallen taste buds. My favorite food may be a food I have not yet tasted, but I one day will in my resurrected body on a resurrected earth. So instead of saying, seek the giver, not the gift, let's say, seek the giver through the gift. He's given that to us that we might trace it back to him and give him glory for it. happens when we place our affections on things and people of the secondary rather than God is that everything gets out of balance. And the interesting thing is it's not just that we aren't in proper relationship with God, though that's certainly the greatest concern because the first and greatest commandment Jesus said was to love God with all of our hearts and minds and souls, but it also changes our relationships negatively with the people who we are also to love. Because as soon as we make the secondary primary, we spoil the secondary. We not only mess things up with the primary, we spoil the secondary. We spoil the value of what they are. An example would be work. Work is a great thing. It's a gift of God. He equips us. He gives us gifts to do our work well, to do skills so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the eating and the drinking, which are secondary, are done to the glory of God, who is the primary. C.S. Lewis said, you can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. So let's not fail to worship God and give him the glory. And let's also not lose the joy that God has intended that we would have in the secondary by viewing it as it was never meant to be viewed as the primary. So our children and grandchildren are going to grow up being offered all the world's alternatives to happiness in Christ. What's going to draw them toward true happiness in Christ? Well, one of the things is identifying the deception, the the lures, the bait, uh, the hook, and maybe seeing the line that goes up to the surface that there's really a catch to this thing. And so they're doing the right thing because it's not only the right thing, it's the smart thing. But ultimately, the smart thing is the thing that's going to bring the ultimate satisfaction in Christ. As parents and grandparents, as 
churches, as a Christian community, what we need to offer our children, grandchildren, all of the children in our community, all the adults in our community, is a true and real alternative that shows the true happiness, the true joy that there is in Christ. If they see in us a perpetual, complaining, unhappy spirit, they will not believe our words about, oh, well, we should rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoicing needs to be seen. It's easier uh, to follow footprints than it is to follow commands. They need to see the reality of joy, a transcendent happiness in the lives of their Christian parents and their Christian church. And when they see that, then they either won't be as likely to go out in the world and try to find it in sin, or even if they do, they'll remember the happiness they departed from and one day be drawn back to it. All right, let's talk about happiness and idolatry. I was standing in line at Walmart. Can anything good happen while you're standing in line at Walmart? Yes. I look over to the side, and they, Time uh, Magazine has produced this uh, called The Power of Joy. I'm going, like, hey, everybody's talking about joy and happiness. And then I found a chapter that says, does spirituality make us happy? Scientists have found again and again, it says, that those with a spiritual practice or who follow religious beliefs tend to be happier than those who don't. Study after study has found that spiritual people tend to be less depressed, less anxious, than non-believers, better able to handle the vicissitudes of life than non-believers are. Isn't that pretty awesome? See? Good things in line. And that's good because that's the only thing that helps me survive the line at Walmart while staying six foot apart. C.S. Lewis says, Our problem is we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. What do we call those things for the purposes of today? They can be idols. When infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. When you are far too easily pleased, what do we call that? Starts with I have seven letters. We're talking about it today. Idolatry. Now you're going to pay attention, right? Dictionary defines it this way quite well. Idolatry is extreme love or reverence for someone or something that is not worthy of such. Sometimes you don't find out till it's too late. You may think that idolatry is an Old Testament 
topic, but the truth is we've just transferred our idle attention, haven't we? <laughs> Somebody made this uh, sacred calf turned into a, an idol, and you probably can't see it on that picture. I was looking to see if you could, but down on the legs are the real idols. Me, 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 me are down there. <laughs> Along with our possessions, our career, our drugs, control, idol, <laughs> overindulgence, sex, pride, instant gratification, <laughs> me, approval, social media. I always love the people who go, go like, oh, Social media is just terrible. I can't believe all the stuff that so-and-so said on Facebook. And I'll suggest in counseling, what will I suggest usually? Take a month and just don't do social media. You'll have it in better perspective and come back. And what do 99.9% .9 of the people say when I say that? Oh, no, I, I couldn't do that. That's how I keep up with things. Well, then I guess you're going to have to let it keep tormenting you if you're not willing to give it up. If you want to keep something in perspective that you know is a good thing, but it may have taken the wrong place in your life, always just give it up for a month. If you can give it up for a month, by the way, you're not addicted. Don't fall into the alcoholics thing. What do alcoholics always say, Kurt? I can quit when? Any, everybody do it in this whole group. Okay, anytime I want. I just don't want to yet right? In his uh, video teaching series, God's at War, he's talking about idols. Kyle Eidelman says this, while we may not see many graven images in our world today, there are still countless gods, and they are passionately at war for the throne of our heart, if we put the wrong God on the throne, our lives will be thrown into chaos, and all our efforts at life management will be futile. It is only by recognizing our misplaced worship and by enthroning Christ alone can we experience true freedom and genuine life. So, you might be surprised to find that Jesus had quite a bit to say about idolatry. Surprise, because you've probably been tricked into thinking it's an Old Testament topic for a previous generation. Jesus said this to his closest followers. Do not worry. What kinds of things do we worry about? Five letters starts with I. Idols, that's exactly right. If you worry about it, it has become an idol. I'm not asking you to say it out loud. What do you worry about? Idol. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Have you ever known of somebody who made an idol out of food? Yep, happens. Or what we shall drink? How about that? Yeah. Or what we shall wear? Thank you. Now notice what kind of people think that way. 
For the pagans, what is a pagan? Idol worshiper, right. For the idol worshipers run after these things. And he noticed the posture of the idol worshipers. They're running after them. Got to get more. How much is enough? Right? I don't know. It's whatever I don't have. The pagans run after these things. I once heard a joke. Sometimes jokes, people get upset with me sometimes because I try to use humor in illustrating points. But the truth is, you know what humor does? It gets you to laugh about something that everybody really thinks is funny. But it made you think about something very serious that you wouldn't have thought about if I'd have said it in a serious way. (laughs) Okay? So here's humor. (laughs) This man is the ultimate materialist. An idol worshiper. And he has this dream. How will he know that he's arrived and he has everything he needs in life? He'll have a Porsche and he'll wear a Rolex. I just point it because it's the watch, not because it's the Rolex. Also, if you noticed, I don't drive a Porsche either, but a Porsche and a Rolex. So the guy, finally he arrives. He gets a big bonus check from his job, and he goes, now's the time. Goes out, buys the Porsche, buys the uh, Rolex. Gets in the Porsche and does. If you've got a Porsche, what do you do? You take it for a drive, a fast drive, right? Otherwise, what's the point of having a Porsche? You might as well drive a Toyota like I do if you want to go slow, right? So he goes out, and, he, and it's not enough of a thrill to drive in town, so he takes it out in the country, out in the mountain road, right? And he's flying around the corners, loses control, of course, goes over the hill, crash, boom, bang, ball of fire. He somehow survives. He comes crawling out and up the hill, His arm has been severed. His Porsche has been destroyed. All the way up the hill as he's holding his arm, he's saying, My Porsche, my Porsche, my Porsche. A fellow stops to help him and hears him going, My Porsche, my Porsche. And he says, My God, man, you've lost your arm. He goes, My Rolex. That's idol worship. See, you just laughed and then you went, ouch, didn't you? The pagans run after these things. And yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them. If you need a car to get from place to place and do the work and life that God has called you to, he knows you need a car. He's going to probably make sure you have one. He knows you need food to eat. Until he's finished with people on earth, okay? He wants us to keep reproducing, so he must think sex is okay, all right? They are all just really lousy gods. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Notice his solution. Think about this. You've probably heard this verse before, but you might not have thought about it in context of idol worship, but this is where it fits. He goes, here's the way God created you to live. Seek first his kingdom. Put your relationship with him at the center. Make it 
primary. And notice what will happen. With him at the center, all the what things? All the food, all the drink, right? All the stuff that you can't get by without. All these things will be given to you. <laughs> Probably if you got them, you got them by the sweat of your brow. <laughs> he says, I want to give you all these things. Just put me at the center. Put me first. I once had a professor who taught a good object lesson. Stood at the front of the classroom and had a whole, several piles actually of rocks And he took the big jar and started filling it with the biggest rocks. When he got the rock right up to the top, he said to the class, Is the jar full? The foolish students who don't know this is a setup went like, Yeah, it looks like it's full to me. He picks up a container of smaller rocks like pea gravel, pours it in over the top. They start filtering into all the open spots. And then he says to the class, they still haven't learned because that's how, why they're students and he's the professor. And he goes, is it full? Yeah, looks full to us. That's why you don't have degrees yet. He says, no, it's not full. He takes a container of sand pours over the top. The tiny grains of sand start filtering around until that baby is rock solid full. Says, is it full? <laughs> you could have been in that class. No, still not full. Takes a pitcher of water, pours it over the top, and the water seeps down. He says, now it's full, but what's the lesson? There's always room for more. No, that's not the lesson. That's what a student said. Always put the big rocks in first. That's what seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Enthrone your relationship with God at the center. Now go to work. Now spend time with your wife and children. Now go out and practice your hobby. Now watch the ball game. Stop first and make sure he's at the center. Put the big rocks in first. What happens if you don't? Well, Jesus explains. Same general passage. No one can serve two masters. In other words, something has to go in the jar first. If you put the sand in first or the pea gravel in first... No big rocks are going to go in, right? So if you want the big rocks to be part of your life, you better put them in first. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. In other words, he's using words of contrast to say, either some, only one thing can be at the center. If one thing is at the center and on the throne of your life, Nothing else is. Okay? Or one of those other things is on the throne, but then you can be sure that God isn't. Because only one 
thing can sit on the throne of your life. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But notice the contrast he uses. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't live without money in our current society. Okay? You need some form of income. And then you have to make choices regarding how you disperse that income. That's every human being on the face of the earth. That's all of us. Okay? God knows that. Okay? But if you decide to put money on the throne of your life, money is a lousy God. It may be the worst of gods. John Piper said this, We make a God out of whatever we find the most joy in. In other words, you can always determine who's at the center, who's the big rock. You can determine it by that which gives you the greatest joy, that which produces the greatest level of happiness in you. If it is, by the way, let's take something that we know is good and is awesome. Children. You put one of your children there, they will be, they may be the greatest son or daughter anybody has ever had. They are a lousy God. (laughs) So find your joy in God and be done with idolatry. So what would it look like in our spiritual lives if God were enthroned at the center and everything else fell in its place with him at the center? David gives us this picture in the 63rd Psalm. It's curious because I recognize the language of a poet. He is a poet. David is a supreme Hebraic poet. And he draws here from a dimension of our lives that we all can relate to. The language he uses here in talking about his relationship with God is the relationship of romance. You, if you've ever written a love note... It probably said some of these things to the person you love. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. If God gave you a special somebody, that's why he gave them to you. You better do a good job loving them and making them feel special. But notice how he starts. You, God, are my God. And so you don't have to say it to them, but to your lover you can say, you are not my God, but I long for you. I desire to know you even better and better and to have more of you in my life. I I desire to be connected more fully to you. You are my son or my daughter. I long to go to every one of your ball games. I, I long to go to your parent-teacher conferences. I long for... That's great. Do that. You ought to. If you're going to be a good parent, you better. Otherwise, why have kids? 
Don't make them your God. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. In other words, he's saying the same thing that he said in Jeremiah chapter 2. You can try filling up your wells with this kind of substance, but it will never satisfy you. Living water only comes from me. And so David says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. What kind of behavior or activity is he talking about there? Worship, yeah. Somebody said it. Worship. Okay. He's saying, okay, I long for God and I long to keep him at the center of my life. What is the activity that helps me keep this in perspective? Worship. Okay. When I worship. Now, if you worship and you go, no, I, that's not like one of the old songs I like singing. Oh, I can't, that pastor is preaching today? Oh, I, I like the other pastor. I like when we have a guest pastor. I go, who knows what you like, okay? He didn't come here for me. (laughs) He didn't come here for the praise band. You came here to connect with God and to remind yourself that he's at the center of your whole existence, right? That's what David said. Seen you in the sanctuary, beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. In other words, he's saying, like, I found that the only way to live happily in life with you firmly entrenched on the throne of my life and everything else falling into place around that, and I will let anybody know who wants to know why I'm so happy. That's my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Now, lift up my hands here. Does it, we think of it as, oh, this isn't a Pentecostal church. Why are we raising our hands? Or like it's some kind of religious activity. But he uses it in the Psalms like this. To lift up your hands means, I know where the things I need come from. So I lift up my hands. I open up. We, we would say open up my hands. But he, he says, lift up my hands and say, God, just fill me. But you, that's a prayer you can pray too, by the way. But you can only pray it if you say, I have established you're on the throne of my life. The only important question for me is, what does God want? What does he want to do? Where does he want me to go? How does he want me to live? What does he want me to have? If that's the most important question in your life, then <laughs> you could say, All right, and I lift my hands to you. So I expect you, who know that I need water and food and a car and clothes and a hobby to keep me entertained and a favorite team to root for and all those things. You know I need that stuff. I lift up my hands to you. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of food. How many of you can relate to that richest of foods thing? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? You go like, so just think of it. You go like, getting more of God in my life, at the center of my life, would be just like having one more brownie, except for even better. Isn't that awesome? 
With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. I got a feeling if I put you on the throne of my life, there'll be a song in my heart and on my lips all the time. Because that's the way I was made, designed by God to live. So naturally, I'll be happy at work, at home, on the road, in line at Walmart, wherever I'm at, I'll be happy because in all of those places, God will be sitting on the throne of my life. John Piper said this, and I like it very well. It's pretty creative and almost poetic, so hang on. For a preacher, it's darn right poetic. He says, if you can't see the sun, then you'll be impressed with a streetlight. You know what that is? Idolatry. Being impressed with a streetlight. If, if you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. Idolatry. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, that's idolatry, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short lived pleasures. That's pretty awesome. And right on. In closing, I'd like to share with you an event from the life of Christ. But before I do, it's really important, I think, that you understand something that has been misconstrued by many a Bible teacher. And I know I'm overly confident, but I'm certain I'm right and they're wrong on this, <laughs> okay? Because I can defend it page by page from the Bible. This idea of, oh, I had a hard day today. The devil was really tempting me. Totally unbiblical and absolutely wrong. The devil, first of all, the devil, as far as we know, is a finite being who can only be one place at a time. And he hasn't been thinking you so important that he's been following you around telling you to go off your diet. I don't think so. Sorry. I know that's a typically held religious belief, not a biblical belief whatsoever, even close. Not just my opinion. That's what the Bible teaches, that that's not true. However, you get tempted, right? <laughs> I'm not like saying, well, temptation doesn't exist. That would be like the people that say the virus doesn't exist. Okay? That's just dumb. You're not paying attention to the facts. Sorry if any of you are saying that. But anyhow, I'm not saying temptation doesn't exist and that it isn't powerful and that it hasn't destroyed many a life. It has. But I want you to know it comes from in here. <laughs> It comes from your flesh. The devil doesn't need to work overtime and show up at your house. He's firmly enthroned throned the flesh at the heart of your life. And if you don't dethrone the flesh and put God on there, then you're going to be tempted whether the devil's around close or not. Hmm. So, there are... Three beings in all of Scripture who were tempted by the devil. Period. That's the end of discussion. Only three of them. And they all of them because they didn't have the flesh. Who would those be? Pardon? Jesus would be one, yes. 
Adam and Eve would be the other ones, right? Everybody else were ancestors of Adam and Eve. They walked into sin. We've inherited it. That flesh reigns in you, so that's what tells you to do more than you ought to do, have what you don't really need, and to be with somebody who's not good for you to be with. All those things did not come from the devil. It came from your flesh. I mean, read every one of the epistles of Paul. He mentions the devil, and believe it, he's a real being, he's evil as can be, and he will destroy us and the world with it if we would let him. That is true. But, as the, our tempter, never once mentioned. Never once. That's a totally made-up religious idea. You know why it's made up, by the way? Isn't it nice to have somebody to blame? <laughs> that isn't you? <laughs> yeah, the, it's, we used to call it... You remember, anybody remember Flip Wilson besides Ted? And, and what he, he played uh, Geraldine, and what did he say? The devil made me do it! Yeah, that's right, yeah. That thing. Jesus was tempted face to face by the devil. He had no sin nature. And notice one of the temptations. The devil led him to a high place. You know what a high place is? That's a place where idolatry is performed. A place where the opportunity to put something before God in your life comes. And he showed him in an instant. Temptations do come that way, don't they, by the way? <laughs> like you're driving down the road thinking really pure thoughts and a billboard goes, Woo! I gotta have one of those. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. There we got the whole critical message, don't we? The devil is out to overseeing the process of you becoming an idol worshiper and his best friend is your flesh. Right? And he said to him, I, the devil will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anybody I want to. Now, is he over-promising? He is not. He's the prince of the power of the air. He rules over this world. You didn't know that? Yeah. That's why he's so dangerous. If you worship me, notice the devil knew what the point was. If you worship me, if you make an idol out of me. Now, by the way, the devil might here be the second most powerful being in all of the universe, right? And he's going like, well, why don't you just like worship me? You can see me. You can touch me. I'm showing you what I'm going to give you. And by the way, I don't have any cross in your future. That would be your heavenly father who gave you that. Okay, this is the devil. If you worship me, it's all yours. You can have it all. Ever heard anybody say that in a commercial? But wait, that's not all. That's like the KTL line, right? Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God 
and serve him only. What was one little thing that the devil left out of his offer? Yeah, that's, you watched uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But, <laughs> you don't remember, you're not, like, not as old as me? I didn't know that, sorry. Sorry for the offense. Uh, and, no, what's wrong with that that he left out was, he forgot to mention, oh, by the way, there's somebody over me without whose permission I can do nothing. You ever read the book of Job? Okay. So it's like, yeah, I got all this authority, but did I mention I got it all from your heavenly Father? And did I mention that any time I upstep, step out of my bounds, he'll stop me? And if he allows me for a moment to step out of my bounds, he'll take and use whatever I do and turn it and use it for your good because you belong to him? Oh, he left that part out. That's in the fine print at the bottom, right? So Jesus said, Worship the Lord your God. Enthrone only one who is worthy at the center of your life. Serve him. In other words, let everything else you do flow from that act of worship. Serve him only. Happiness and idolatry. Let's pray.